This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to DSC's Untamed Heritage, the unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle. Delivered in an entertaining and informative fashion as only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Untamed Heritage is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. Conservation, education, protecting hunters' rights. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Texas raised hunting products, the scent gods. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, calling his calls made. Double nickel taxidermy, where hunting memories are preserved. Now here's your host, Larry Wysoon. One of the things I truly enjoy each fall or have for the last several years now is to go on a pronghorn antelope hunt. For years I hunted New Mexico and a few other places. Hunted Wyoming, hunted Colorado, hunted West Texas and New Mexico and all those states like that that have pretty good pronghorn populations and over the years I've been able to take some really nice ones. But Last year, in 2019, I returned to hunt with Greg Simons with the Wildlife Systems. Now, if you were listening last week, you got to hear Greg talk a lot about some of the projects that they're involved in in terms of um, the pronghorn antelope there in western Texas. Through Wildlife System, he administers in terms of the wildlife biologist making recommendations regarding the population control in terms of number of bucks that need to be taken each year to keep that population in a strong position of moving forward. But also he works with the rancher in terms of the range conditions to try to improve the range conditions for those animals out there so that they have a tendency to be good and healthy animals and good and healthy animals in a good and healthy habitat really help everything out there but it also makes those horns grow and make sure that those fawns that are born do survive and and they've had just an absolutely fun great fawn survival rate out there in the last two years after having had some problems with the barber pole worm a few years ago that kind of knocked that population on its ear but uh, the west texas pronghorn population as you heard last week from greg is really starting to make a comeback 
And I couldn't be happier about that because it's kind of the iconic animal out there with the addition of the desert bighorn and the east, well, I should say desert mule deer. I think those are the ones of the crook eye species and heard too, probably <laughs> Greg tell the story a time or two before, but again, a little bit, last time just talking about Hank, uh, Hank being the mule deer that he shot in 2000. In 19, that was scored essentially 300 Boone and Crockett points and largest of the desert variety non-typicals that have ever been taken, if I'm not mistaken, according to Boone and Crockett. Even larger than some of those really big bucks that come out of, uh, out of Sonora, excuse me, out of Sonora, Mexico. But pronghorn antelope, to me, are so much fun to hunt. You, you, you can make it as easy to hunt as you want to, you can make it as difficult. I kind of try to divide between the two these days. Was a time many years ago, I just had him drop me off and I'd sit on a hillside and then spot one and then try to put a stalk on him. And if I got him, that was good. And if not, I went on to another one. With the size of the ranch that, that we're hunting in this instance, or actually that I did hunt, it's it's huge and to really get a chance to look at a lot of the pronghorns you need to get in a vehicle and spend a lot of time driving around and kind of that's what Greg had suggested to uh, to Ted Simpson my guide and Ted and I've known each other for a while too and to be able to hunt with him was absolute pleasure and you kick into the fact that this particular hunt was filmed for Trijicon Sports Field and I had <laughs> had Dave Folsom with me and I laugh because Dave and I go back many many years uh, probably 30 plus years on uh, hunts that we did together many many years ago and some of those instances he was a camera guy and some instances he was he was a hunter just like me so really great to have spent time with 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 both those guys and then of course we had an absolutely fantastic camp as well too had Joe and J.B. Richter in camp for a little bit and and of course Greg was there to guide uh, Blake Barnett and, uh, and Chance who happened to call his cameraman who happened to be called Skinny Woody but to be able to spend time with with, uh, with Dave was absolutely out of this world. Uh, we got a chance to visit about a lot of different things and look over a lots of different antelope but that's really kind of what I want to talk about today is some of that hunt. The previous year I shot one that was 17 and a half inches long. He grossed Boone and Crockett and he would probably net it. I know he'll net it if I decided to put him in the book and maybe one of these days I will just to honor the animal and not so much the hunter involved who was me in this instance. But on that trip I saw a pronghorn toward the tail of the hunt. My hunt was over with in a, in a part of the pasture of that big ranch in the southeastern part that I really wanted to go back and look at because we saw that animal very late one afternoon and all I could tell that he was extremely long and extremely massive which was the one I really kind of thought about trying to, to take if we happened to see him so set it up to where uh, we got to hunt that opening pasture that front pasture if you will and we absolutely hunted hard to start with. We looked over lots of lots of bucks and about halfway into the morning we spotted what we thought might be the buck that I'd passed up the year before, passed up I say, I'd already taken one, but uh, that I wanted really to go back and look for him. 
got a little bit closer to them and, and th by stalking and then driving a little bit closer to them as well too. Those vehicles there that the cowboys use are, are white pickups and so they really don't pay a whole lot of attention if you're in a white pickup. You can drive relatively close. Now relatively close means four to five hundred yards but close enough to where you can get a good idea of, of, of what that animal really looks like in terms of horns. Set the spot and scope up, or Ted did, and and he and I looked at him as well. And the first time when I looked at him, because you know what, that buck is missing his entire prong on his left side. He's probably 17 inches or longer. He's got a nice prong on the other side. Tremendous mass, but for some reason he either never grew that prong this year, or he broke it through fighting because the rut's been going on out there for a while, and those bucks have been fighting for a pretty good while too. We looked at this buck and I go, man, I really like the, the I like him, but this year I'm trying to, uh, with a little bit of luck, try to do the Texas Slam. The Texas Slam is a pronghorn, a whitetail, a mule deer, and a javelina that meet a certain Boone and Crockett score. And with antelope in Texas, particularly West Texas antelope, that minimum score is 70. And I looked at that buck and I thought, you know, he, he, he's right at 70 because he's not missing a prong. You're not going to get in the net score. You're not going to get credit for that other prong that he has. So I uh, doubt, seriously, it's probably going to be one of those that without prongs would probably score in that 65 to 68. Still a really good antelope, but uh, not quite to the level of what I'm looking for this year. And uh, I like being picky on antelope because that way I don't have to pull the trigger on the first one I see and I get to look at a lot of them. We spent a little time watching that antelope, got a little bit closer to him, and sure enough, he was totally missing that prong on his left side, but had he had prong equal to his right side, no doubt that animal had been a Boone and Crockett buck, and, and uh, oh my gosh, I think he'd have, he'd have been very easily one of those that you go, oh my gracious, he, he's really one that you want to take a really serious look at. And, and uh, with me, I wanted to take a serious look at him on the ground with photographs with me behind him, but it just wasn't there. So we passed that buck up and spent a bunch more time looking at some other antelope. Saw some really nice 15, 15 and a half inch bucks, uh, good prongs, but also several of them that we looked at them. And the more that we looked at them, both Ted and, and uh, Dave, who has taken numerous pronghorn as well, including some Boone and Crockett pronghorn bucks looked at him and go, you know, Larry, they look a little bit on the young side, and of course, being a biologist, I, I tended to agree with them. My purpose in this hunt was to take a really nice horned pronghorn antelope, but I wanted one to take, wanted to take one that was at least mature, meaning at least that three, four, five years of age. We uh, just got back into to the house, and when we got back into the house to grab a quick bite of lunch, we immediately wanted to go back out again. Uh, we realized that both the Richters, both JB and, and uh, who'd shot one with a bow and, and Joe who'd also shot one but with a rifle and, and Blake Parnett, all three had taken pronghorn antelope. So basically there weren't going to be but four hunters on this entire huge ranch. So guess what? I had the entire ranch to myself. So Ted and I kind of looked at each other, grinned, smiled, wished everybody the very, you know, thank you for doing what you did. Congratulations on your pronghorn antelope. And now we're going to go hunt because we got the entire ranch to go hunt looking for one antelope that I want to try to take, which I have no idea which one that's going to be. But 
we went out that afternoon and and no sooner had gotten out and uh spotted several really good antelope we did find one that maybe in a little bit different circumstances uh i might have taken and the reason i say that this was a seven, probably a seven year old antelope and the reason we knew that is because when the barber pole worm put a really bad dent into the population in that particular area they moved some, they being Texas Parks and Wildlife Department biologists, moved some pronghorn antelope down to that area to try to, to uh, augment that population, if you will. They tagged them in both ears, and in this instance, this buck had kind of uh, turquoise-looking tags in his ears, but had he not had the tags in his ears, I would have taken him. This, this buck was phenomenal, to be quite frank with you. He was extremely massive, and he had extremely long prongs to where, like on a Boone and Crockett measurement, where you measure from the back center of the horn right along the edge of the front upper tip to the tip. I'd bet that this buck had seven inches there on each side. Very massive. He was probably about a right at 16 inches long and carried that mass all the way out. Just absolutely a gorgeous pronghorn, but... Uh, Two or two reasons I didn't shoot him is number one, we were filming for sports field TV show, and these days, for some reason, hunters don't quite understand why some animals are tagged. It's a lot of times the guys that do a lot of the complaint about shooting a tagged animal that in this instance was no way confined. He was confined in the state of Texas and the Republic of Mexico, if you will, because he could roam over the entire area. But uh, some people just don't think you ought to shoot tagged bucks those same people as i was about to say if they're duck or goose hunters guess what they want to shoot they want to shoot a duck or a goose with a tag or a wing band or or you know trailers coming off their wings and all that kind of thing so i get tickled about it sometimes but uh, you know i can understand their feelings if that's the way they are if it in this instance it was an animal that was tagged caught tagged and released but the rules as far as the uh, Texas Big Game War, Texas Big Game Awards are concerned, rather, is that if that animal has a tag in his ear or has had a tag in his ear, he's not eligible to uh, for that award program. And so that was the other reason why I didn't shoot. Although I tell you what, I was very, very tempted, just the same, because it was a true wild animal. And it was an older mature buck and probably another year or two, he's either going to go really far down or if we go into a dry period, he, he may not make it. Spent the rest, just, just all kinds of good stuff that afternoon. We, we saw badgers, uh, we saw coyotes, we saw, saw a nice white-tailed deer, saw a mule deer. Uh, Blake was in camp hunting elk. They were talking about elk. Driving in that afternoon, right at the or that evening, as we're headed to the house from our daily hunt, we found a really nice big five by five elk standing right off the side of the road. They've got some pictures of him, and he kind of took off and and uh, uh, got some great footage of him as he jumps fences and he's he's running off into the to the uh, wild blue yonder, if you will, and. Uh, but just an absolutely great bull, probably, oh, maybe a five-year-old or four-year-old. He, he still needed a few years for some of those really big antlers that those bucks or those bulls out there in West Texas will grow. It's a, an amazing elk herd that we have that's been there for essentially ever when you get right down to it. But uh, 
So we had just an absolutely fantastic day. Now, now one of the things that's so really good about Wildlife Systems camps is their food. The the, the food that night was, a, we had a steak that was, oh my gosh, that steak was some of the best steak I've ever eaten, along with all the little things that go along, side dishes, if you will, just, I, I, my intention were to only eat about half that steak, and as I got halfway through, it, I was still a little bit on the hungry side, and it just tasted way too good not to eat, so I ended up eating that entire steak, slept kind of fit, fitfully that night, and got up the next morning, way ahead of time we legal shooting time in texas is a half hour before daylight to a half hour after daylight even on pronghorn antelope but with filming it's a totally different deal so uh we wanted to have really good camera light before we got after an antelope and and uh so we, we went back out we started out again at the same place where we did before the the, the morning before where we'd seen the really big buck with only one prong thinking maybe that there was a, another buck there because during the survey that Greg had done, he had seen two or three what he called very nice bucks, wouldn't describe them in any further fashion, just or exactly where he'd seen them kind of thing, just that that southeast quarter over there has got some pretty good bucks in it, and that southeast quarter is about 10, 15,000 acres, so <laughs> it, it covers an awful lot of ground. That morning, however, though, turned out to be one of the more enjoyable mornings that, that, that I've had hunting in so many different ways because, again, we found several really good bucks and, and uh, oh, we were driving from one ear to the other and got on the highway to get around faster to the other side of the ranch, again, because we had the entire ranch to ourselves. And as we're driving along, look out into the, out into the pasture there way, and there's a coyote standing in a... Dave said, pull over, pull over. He said, let's, let's get some footage of that coyote. So he's filming this coyote. And I just started squeaking with my mouth. Just going. <laughs> Here that coyote came like he was on a string and you were pulling him on a rod and reel, reeling in as fast as you can. He ran right up to the road where we were parked. Stood there, kind of looked up at us and then finally just walked away. Uh, absolutely great, great fun. I'm, I'm very good friends with Gary Roberson with uh, Burnham Brothers Game Calls, and, and we've done a lot with Gary, you know, as far as his new call and as far as the, the decibels that they can hear. And, and, and Gary told me, so one of those high decibel sound things is one of that squeak that you make. And obviously it played the part because this coyote, he was not a youngster, I'll tell you that much came running right up to the truck uh, like we didn't even exist it, it was absolutely amazing got back into the pasture and, and spotted a buck a long way off now this buck was uh there actually the first one we ran into over there was was really wide he was probably 15 inches long on both sides hooked way back in had that kind of ivory tip kind of a translucent tip that some of those older mature bucks have and so I really think he was probably a 15-inch long horn antelope, but very wide heart-shaped, very excellent prongs, just an absolutely classic, gorgeous, beautiful, unbelievably good <laughs> pronghorn. But for whatever reason, I said, you know, we know where he, we, we've kind of seen that buck before over in the distance. We, we need to kind of hung out on the edge of this one prairie dog town. and. 
and uh, so we decided, uh, or I decided, you know, let's let's. There's another buck way over. Let's go have another look. Let's have a look at that one before we decide on this one. We drove over there, probably about a quarter of a mile, half a mile, started glassing, and there was a buck very similar to the one that I shot last year. One of those, one that's got a lot of length and then hooks way back in, had really good prongs. But he was, oh gosh, still about seven, eight hundred yards away, nine hundred yards, maybe even a thousand yards. Glassed him really good, and I said, you know what, if we get a chance on that buck, that may be one that I want to try to take. Well, Buck had other ideas. He started walking along this barbed wire fence where he could have crossed any time that he wanted to, and he stayed right on this barbed wire fence, disappeared to some, some thicker mesquites right before there was kind of a little hillside there, and evidently he got on the other side of that hill, and, and uh, we drove around to the other side, and we could not find him no matter what. Uh, we looked real hard, went back to see if we could find this, this real wide, heart-shaped buck, and saw him off in the distance and it was getting on close to about almost 11 or 12 o'clock and I was thinking about high sun and all that kind of thing and you know shadows and looked over at Dave and I said Dave why don't we let's let's go get a bite to eat let's come turn right around and come back so we drove into the, the camp and had an absolutely fantastic meal uh said howdy to a bunch of people and said goodbye to the Richters they were leaving that morning and and uh, immediately went right back out. And we're driving into the into the pasture. We're probably about, a, oh, maybe a mile into one of the pastures. And I spot a buck on the edge of a prairie dog area. There are a fair number of prairie dogs. And that means that there's very low vegetation to where they keep it mowed off pretty good. And there was one little spot there that where the vegetation might have been 10 inches tall as, as opposed to like maybe two or three inches tall. And, Look way out there, and there was a very promising buck. He was—he he didn't have real long. He, he was one of those that was pretty darn good in every department, in terms of mass, in terms of length, in terms of prong. But he just wasn't one of those bucks that you look at and you go, "Oh my God, that—that's the one that I want," kind of thing. So uh, I looked over at Dave, and I said, Dave said, "You know, he said, Larry he said we've already got a few really good stalks and turndowns for the show." He said, "You want to see if we can stock that one and get another turndown?" He said, "If you don't want to shoot him," and I, I said, "I looked at him a little more, and I said, you know what? I I don't think I want to shoot him, but absolutely now." What I had done before I left the house, I, I do a fair amount of stuff, and we had a, a fair amount of things, I should say, not stuff, a fair amount of things with Texas Race Hunting Products, and they have a product called Scent Guardian, which is a scent control. It kind of essentially does away with human scent, I've come to realize, and uh, maybe even some of the things like uh, the hex suits do, where they prevent you, the electrical charges or whatever, comes off your body to be to be sent out. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd sprayed down a little bit that morning before I left, but I had really sprayed my clothing down uh, before I left home with the scent guardian. I mean, just kind of saturated it and hung it out to dry and put it in my hunting bag. And, and uh, so I was wearing clothing, a, a green, solid green shirt, brown pair of breeches, uh, a brown Western hat that I also spray down, my boots, and a uh, little bit of the things on the gun in terms of where I think there might be any kind of scent which is normally along the sling area kind of thing so I sprayed the sling as well too. 
we got out and started walking toward the uh, this pronghorn, and he just he'd kind of look in our direction every once in a while, but he really would not look at us like he wouldn't concentrate. Now, if you know anything about pronghorn antelope, you know that they depend upon their eyes. That's they may be able to smell a little bit. Their ears aren't real big, so they don't hear all that fantastic. But their eyes have been compared by some people to uh, a human's eyes with an eight power binocular. So whether that's true or not, I'm not going to say, but they have absolutely fantastic eyesight and depend very heavily on being able to get away from danger by spotting things and then running. And so I was real interested and anxious to see what would happen because I was walking in the bald opening. I mean, it was like walking down the, uh, the center of a football field. There's not a whole lot more cover than you'd find on the football field. And I just slowly started walking toward the, uh, toward the pronghorn. And it was just kind of it was feeding a little bit. And then it kind of looked over in my direction, look over at something else. And just really not pay a whole lot of attention to anything I was doing. And Dave was right behind me until we got with probably within about, oh, 300, 400 yards of him. And then I just kind of, I, I kind of looked, and I caught the corner of my eye, kind of looked back, and I saw Dave just kind of sit down, and I thought, well, I guess this might be as close as we can get. Maybe I ought to turn around, and, and we're going to find another one. I thought, nope, 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 nope. That antelope has not really even acted like he cared that I was there or that he saw me or that he was in any way concerned. So I just very slowly started walking toward him, right directly toward him, and, and got within about, oh, maybe 200 yards. And uh, he still paid no attention to me. I kept walking real slow, and I got within about 100, maybe not quite 100 yards, and the antelope laid down. And uh, kind of looking in our direction, but never looking at me. It was like he was looking through me and seeing something way beyond and not seeing me. And so I sat there for just a little bit while he was laying down. I thought, well, well, let's just see what happens if I can start walking toward him again. So I started walking. And, of course, the entire time Dave was filming this, and you'll be able to see actually how all this came about by whenever the uh, pronghorn antelope show airs on uh, Trizicon's World of Sports and Field. Kept walking, kept walking. I stopped at about 50 yards, and still the animal did not, the antelope didn't seem to pay me any attention. So I just kept moving very slowly, very slowly, very slowly, not making any sudden movements of any kind, but just walking toward him every once in a while. I actually picked up my rifle, looked through that Trigicon to see where uh, he was. Yeah, he's looking a little bit better than I thought he was to begin with at that point. And I looked back here and saw Dave way back behind me. So I thought, no, I'm not going to shoot. So I kept walking and kept walking, got within about 40 steps of him. I thought, you know, if I were a bow hunter at this point, I could have taken that animal with a bow. Kept walking, kept walking, got to about 25 steps. This pronghorn just kind of kind of glanced over in my direction, never tried to make eye contact. And it was like, again, he was looking through me and not seeing me. I kept walking and finally I stopped at a spot. And to the point to where if my arm had been about, oh, six, seven times longer than what it actually was, I could have reached out and touched this pronghorn. He still did not pay any attention to me. I took a couple more steps toward him, and uh, finally he just kind of looked over at me and just kind of started kind of feeding away. But never really leaving, never got more than about 25 steps, 30 steps away from me.
Finally, I walked to exactly where he had been standing, the closest that I that I was that I got to him. It was 13 steps of my steps, and my steps are about a yard when you get right down to not you know right at that 36 inches kind of step, and I'd gotten within 13 steps of this mature pronghorn antelope that for all practical purposes did never even acknowledge the fact that I was anywhere in the country. Truly amazing. I could I could not believe him. I, I walked back and I saw Ted walk back to Ted and he goes, I have seen a lot of things with pronghorn antelope. I've never seen anybody do that. And I go, you know what, I've been hunting pronghorn. I shot my first pronghorn antelope like in 1969, 1970. Well, that's that's about, that's 50 years ago, essentially. And I've uh, shot a lot of antelope in the process uh, from then till now. And I have never seen a pronghorn antelope do anything of the sorts to just let you get that close. It was absolutely, truly amazing. And the only thing that I can account at being able to do this is just the fact that I had sprayed down with the... Uh, Texas Race Hunting Products sent Guardian. It, it's not so much that it only did it because the wind was blowing for me directly to him the whole time. I mean, it would, I knew he could catch my scent. I knew he could see me. He paid attention to other things a long way off. He paid no attention to me. So really kind of made me feel like, uh, you know, there, there's a whole lot to this Texas Race Hunting Products sent Guardian. I knew it was, but that was kind of the, the proof that I really was looking for. We uh, went to another area, not very far from there, when you got right down to it, probably about within a mile, mile and a half, and uh, really wanted to go back to where we had seen this pronghorn that I'd seen that morning that I thought, you know, this, this he's right at a book pronghorn with the length and length that he has and the prongs that he has and the mass that he has. And we're going to an area, and, and I look over and I see a, a, a couple of does and a fawn land kind of on this little, almost like a headed toward a plateau, kind of a rise area. And I told uh, uh, Ted to stop us. Ted, let, let's look. There's got to be a buck around here somewhere. We were up a little bit too. I was a good glassing vantage point right here. And I started glassing. And as soon as I started glassing, glassing I noticed there was a really interesting buck standing off to the left of this doe and fawn, or does and fawn. And I could see his, his one prong just kind of flared out. Couldn't see the other one real good because he's looking straight at us, and I noticed his horns were kind of those that kind of set forward at the top a little bit. So, just looking at him straight on, it looked like he was probably about 12, maybe 13 inches long. I could tell that one side was uh, the tip was broken off a little bit, but uh, just extremely nice, good mass. But those prongs, that one prong, just had me. And about that time, that buck turned a little bit, and I go, "Oh my God, that's one we're going to go after." So we. Immediately got out of the vehicle, came around the backside. I got the shooting sticks and loaded a 162 ELDX into that 7mm Remington mag that I was shooting. And I had a, a 3 to 18 Trigicon scope on it, AccuPoint, if you will. And uh, kind of turned, looked to make sure I had it turned where I wanted to at about 10 or 12 and, and, and cranked it up from 3 where I keep it all the time. And then as soon as I get finished looking or I turn it right back down again so in case you're ever up close on something you can, you're not saying just hair and you can find the, the exact spot that you want to put that crosshairs on but uh, I loaded that 162 ELDX in, in there and in that bolt action and and uh, we'd started a stock we'd again I would I, I was just off that stock 
from that unbelievable getting from 500 yards to 13 steps of them. So I thought, well, it worked one time. We'll see if it works again. We, we walked maybe about 100 yards, and I thought at that point it looked like that antelope was less than 200 yards away. And he was still kind of kind of looking in our direction. Again, he really wasn't paying us any attention. But uh, I set up the shooting sticks and got uh, Dave all set up there right behind me. And, and uh, it was probably about 130 yards by then. And and uh, Dave got in on him, and, and he said, yeah, why don't you, let's see if we can get some footage. Because for whatever reason, that pronghorn did not seem really concerned about our presence. And again, I can only account it to that uh, scent guardian that we'd sprayed on, on everything. And, and finally, the antelope turned, and when he totally turned, and he broadsided for a little bit, kind of walking toward those does, I'm going, oh my gracious, this is a really good pronghorn. I mean, his prongs looked long and both of them were long and really that's kind of what I was looking for this year is I wanted a pronghorn that had really good cutters whatever you want to call them prongs you know fourth points whatever your description of it might be but uh, he turned broadside and then he kind of turned quartering to me kind of facing from uh, my right to my left and I've got the shooting sticks all set up and centered that crosshair now right on the point of his shoulder and waited for Dave to say whenever you're ready to take him take him because I wanted to make sure we got sufficient footage of him and because again he wasn't at all that concerned about us took a deep breath let it all out like I learned at the FTW uh, through their sportsman all-weather all-terrain marksmanship training and let it all out and slowly started to squeeze of that thing after pushing the safety forward and and at the shot this animal just broke and ran and I thought oh my gosh I can't believe he's running but as he ran I could see a tremendous exit hole on the opposite side and I quickly reloaded and got on him and I was just about to shoot him a second time because he made it almost made a big old circle like he was coming almost back to where he started from where I'd shot him and and I saw a cloud of dust because he fell behind a little bit of brush right there and I moved over to the side and looked at him, looked like he was down for the count, kept on for a little bit just to be sure he wouldn't get up and did all of our stuff that we needed to do and I kind of look over a second time as we were working on the, the flipping the safety off and those kind of things kind of that you do post to uh, taking the shot and, and uh, flipping out the empty kind of thing and uh, for the TV show and we started walking up there and as we started walking up the the closer we got he, he's one of those animals like a few in my lifetime that i've shot and i say a few because so very often you shoot one and you think he's absolutely a monster and you get up there and he's not quite what you thought he was i think sometimes what happens is is the adrenaline it flows through your body which is a fantastic charge of of, of energy of, of a great feeling kind of causes the lenses on in your eyes to magnify things a little bit well this did not happen this time that happened as i was walking up to him and got up there and grabbed a hold of him and i'm going oh my gosh look at the prongs and the prongs were a little bit over five inches long all the way measured out and i guessed him at about oh 15 or 16 inches on the good side maybe a little bit shorter on on the side that was broken off but unbelievably good shape just can't wait to get the meat on the cool out of into the cooler at that point and and to get it home and and do a few things with pronghorn venison that that 
old buddy Jim Zumbo taught me about how to prepare pronghorn and, and feed to my family. But uh, absolutely thrilled over the hunt. We got a fantastic show with, with so many different things, so many turndowns, so many pronghorn antelope out there. That Let me, let me tell you, if you ever want to go on a, on a pronghorn hunt, I would strongly recommend that you go with, with Greg Simons out in the Trans-Pecos area because of the beauty of that high desert country, the number of animals, and the quality of animals, the quality of the camps, the quality of the food, all those really good things that you you know, and the quality of people that are in camp with the guides and the hunters that are there as well too. So to me, it's, it's just the place to go if you want to go hunt a pronghorn. And, you can do that by getting in touch with Greg at uh, www.wildlifesystems, W-I-L-D-L-I-F-E-S-Y-S-T-E-M-S.com, wildlifesystems.com. And, and uh, you go to that website, you can see some of the animals that Greg has taken in terms of whitetail, mule deer, fantastic all dad sheep hunting out there, of course, pronghorn and... Uh, uh, some absolutely unbelievable elk in that country and every year too they shoot some just outstanding mule deer as well too and those desert mule deer are so much fun to hunt to me a whole lot more fun to hunt than Rocky Mountain mule deer because of the habitat that they live in and that old high desert country has just got an appeal about it that I cannot put my finger on it but it's it's one of my favorite places on earth Absolutely fabulous pronghorn hunt. Uh, several firsts there, and, and one of those being is that over the years I've shot lots of different guns, a lot of different calibers, a lot of different rounds, and the work that I did as an outdoor writer and a gun writer for Shooting Times and some of the other publications as a hunting writer over the years. And, and during all that time, I had shot a lot of 7mm things in terms of a 7x57, 275 Rigby, the same thing, of course, 7mm 08. Oh, gosh, uh, just 7mm Weatherby mag, several STW that I shot for a while years ago. And I mean, the list just went on and on, but I had never shot anything with a 7mm Remington Magnum rifle, uh, other than paper, you know, and maybe a, a steel gong in a long distance. Uh, I mentioned using the, the 162 grain ELDX Precision Hunter bullet that Hornady puts out in their Precision Hunter loads. I, I, I've looked at, I hear sometimes people say, well, they don't open up like, God, you know, and man, I don't know what these folks are looking at because I'll tell you something, this, this bullet opened up considerably. Where it went in, there was a hole that was probably about the size of 0.8. I'm sorry, 0.284, which is the diameter of a 7mm bullet. Where it came out was about the size of a volleyball. If you ever played volleyball, or, or probably a, a hole that was 6 to 8 inches minimum in size. So it opened up a tremendous amount. Uh, thankfully, where the angle that I shot really didn't run any meat because it went in on the point of one shoulder and it came out kind of the rib cage and I lost a few of the ribs, but other than that, uh, that was all that I lost, but that bullet was absolutely phenomenal in terms of terminal performance. Uh, would not have any qualms about using that caliber, that bullet, on just about anything that I've shot, with the exception maybe of, of elephant and hippo and, and uh, cape buffalo, but you know what, I think it might even put a cape buffalo down, particularly if you shot them behind the shoulder, kind of like I shot my, my pronghorn. So, 
something to think about if, if you're looking for a new bullet to, or a new load whether you hand load or whether you buy them off the shelf like I do because I don't have time to, to, to do any reloading anymore these days I, I love the GMX bullet that Hornady puts out the, the all copper uh, monolithic bullet if you will and where I use it where I have to and I've used it on dangerous game and a few of the you know, big game animals but that ELDX to me of all the bullets that I've ever shot and I've had the opportunity to shoot a lot of them over the years into animals but also a lot of them into targets and to me that particular ELDX load is just the finest there is. I, it's the most accurate bullet I've ever shot in the guns that I've shot it and it's also the most devastating as far as terminal performance so if you're, you're thinking about uh, needing a really good bullet let me suggest you you check with Hornady and, and find out if they have either that bullet for you to be able to, to load in your own when you're reloading or hand loading or if just to, to me I've learned that even with the hand loading I've done I can't beat what I pick up off the shelf from Hornady so you know, give that bullet a try the, the scope I want to talk about a little bit too I, I'm a big fan of Trigicon and I love the the AccuPoint. Now I love the Huron scope too that doesn't have the the lit reticle and of course the the AccuPoint you don't use a battery. You use light that hits it's a Trigicon point of light. I'm sorry, a tritium point of light. Uh, Trigicon point of light is good too. And I love that because I can get on the target very, very quickly and it's just a great, great scope in terms of whether with a three and crank it down to three power and I've used it as that as a dangerous game scope to where your targets are going to be in quick and fast and sometimes dark in that light green spot that's in the center of the, where those two hairs, the crosshairs cross really helps you pick up on the target very quickly and, uh, and of course if you're going to be shooting longer range my gosh that crank that thing up all the way and, and you know, if, you, if you're one of those that feels like you need to shoot it a thousand yards, by golly, that, that's a scope that you can use right there. To me, it's if you're going to just buy one scope and, uh, you know, if you, even if you wanted to move from gun to gun, I guess you could do that. I'm one of those that buys a scope and when everything fits and it shoots where it wants, where I want it to shoot, I really don't want to touch that scope. I'd rather save a little bit of money here, a little bit of money there and, and buy a second scope that I can put on another rifle or a third rifle or whatever. And, but uh, check out that Triticon, uh, Trit got me thinking about Tritium and Trigicon right now, but check out the AccuPoint. It's available in, in several different magnifications, but Oh, that one that I was using on this hunt, I, it, it's, it's one that's going to be on the another rifle. I've got a 280 Remington coming in that I want to shoot on some of these other hunts. And uh, I love the 7mm cartridge particularly and the 7x57 and the 280 Remington. It seems like those two are extremely accurate, uh, very forgiving in what you shoot through them in terms of grains of, of the bullet weight. But... Uh, accurate in that respect but also I don't know what it is about the seven millimeter it just seems to kill very quickly and, and very humanely particularly quickly and so shot a lot of things years ago with a 280 Remington and I think it's about time I kind of come back to it and you know I got a couple of others I want to try this year a little bit as well too but pronghorn antelope hunting comes at a fantastic time a combination of a 
Trijicon AccuPoint scope, uh, uh, Hornady Precision Hunter, and whatever rifle you shoot it in. Uh, I've shot them now and some other rifles, particularly friends have, and that particular load. And it's just one of those sweet, forgiving loads that seems to shoot well, regardless of what the brand of rifle is. I will tell you that my 280 Remington in a Ruger number one is just, it's one whole accuracy with the uh, 280 load, so uh, 280 Remington load, if you will, for Precision Hunter. Before we get away this week, I want to visit with you just a little bit. You know, Dallas Safari Club is, I'm a firm believer in Dallas Safari Club. Dallas Safari Club, I've been around almost since it started, you know, back in the back in the 80s. Been a firm, staunch supporter because of the fact they put their money where their mouth is. It is a very small staff, a small paid staff, I should say, and a huge volunteer staff that every year puts on the convention now. Right before I recorded this here on my little place, uh, and if you hear some wind noises, it's because there's a little bit of wind blowing through the uh, big old live oak tree I'm sitting underneath. But uh, well, I had left Corey Mason a couple of days ago after coming back from the uh, pronghorn antelope hunt to talk with Corey about a couple of projects we have going on in terms of writing. But uh, asked him again. I said, you know, is the convention still on track? And he says, absolutely. He said, the convention is on track for February the 11th through the 14th. K. Bailey Hutchinson Center there in Dallas. He said, we may be required to wear a mask or something, you know, and, and have traffic flow one way or the other. But, you know, we're not going to worry so much about that right now because the city of Dallas and the uh, K. Bailey Hutchinson Center, the convention center, if you will, they're going all out to make sure that the convention happens this year. So it's going to be one of those really fun times. You know, we've all been kind of cooped up for a while and, and uh, that DSC convention is, is nothing but a huge family reunion where everybody kind of gets together and tells hunting stories and shares a few photographs and checks on the, the family, if you will, because, as I said, it's a, it's a large family with known fam family members that you've known for a long time and, you know, family members that probably you haven't yet met, but hopefully while you're there you will and, and get to know each other because I know you'll be friends if you do get together. This year, too, we're going to have a booth outside the entrance. Now, if you've ever been there, you know there's basically just one entrance going into the into the big hall. And just outside of that entrance, I happen to be on the board of directors with the uh, DSC Foundation. Now, our job is to, is to make money, give away money, make money, give away money, so that we give away more money kind of thing to worthwhile causes in terms of, of wildlife particularly with the conservation and education and uh, hunter advocacy, those being the, the, the three chair legs, if you will, that support DSC or that DSC supports. So, but we have a booth set up there this year and everybody that comes by and, and will do a little bit of something for DSC Foundation. I am gonna, I've donated a 375 Ruger uh, guide gun which is my all-time favorite rifle ever that we're going to give away for those people who become involved a little bit with the DSC Foundation while they're there. And uh, we'll give that gun away at the end of the convention. So, you know, if you've ever wanted a 375 Ruger and, and uh, a guide gun, like a lot of us have a tendency to shoot, particularly for hunting 
dangerous game, but I've I've used it on roe deer and everything else in Africa and in uh, Europe rather, and, and uh, some of the small species shot a blue diker, one of the smallest of the dikers in all of Africa with a, my 375 Ruger as well too, and lots of buffalo with it and a few other things. Yeah, gosh, I maybe even a hippo or two with one. And so anyway, used it for with great success here in, in North America on, on brown bear, huge brown bear, on grizzlies, on, oh gosh, uh, elk, and lots of white-tailed deer here as well too. So coyotes and hogs and javelina and you name it. I mean, uh, I haven't shot a pronghorn antelope with it, but that's in the future, I suspect. But uh, if you get a chance, we'll be there. We'll be on the conservation stage again this year. We're not sure who all is going to be there, I suspect. Phil Massaro will be there and a few other guys. Uh, Boddington usually shows up. Shockey, if he's in the area, will show up. And, and you know, we'll, we'll see how things go this year. But I'll spend a little time out there in the DSC Foundation booth out front. So hope that you get a chance to come by. Start making plans now because you can't see the DSC convention in one or two days. It really takes all four days. And there's a lot of good hotels available very, very close that are very conscious of protecting you in terms of health wise and uh, you know if you get a chance or just make it a chance don't wait to take a chance just just do it just come see us at the DSC convention this year if you want to know more about it and to you know what all is going to be happening and those kind of things you can go to our website uh, www.biggame.org that's biggame.org and uh, if you're there, you might even look on the uh, Camp Talk online there. There's a little hitting up there, and, and I try to do a blog there, a very regular blog. It's not real long. It won't take you long to read. Usually accompanied with a picture or two, but uh, kind of catch up on that. And then, too, just want to remind you as well, too, about our uh, this particular uh, podcast is that it, we're now on Waypoint at W-A-Y-P-O-I-N-T tv.com forward slash untamed dash heritage and uh, that's where you find in this one hopefully and if you, if you if you didn't find it there tell your friends about it if you would please we're trying to get as many listeners as we can and really want to hear from you you can get in touch with me on on facebook at uh, larry wysoon outdoors or larry wysoon or on instagram at larry wysoon outdoors and let me know what you what you think about the podcast. Let me know about some of the things you might want to hear, and and uh, we'll see if we can kind of come around to that. But I appreciate you listening this week. Kind of been a solo thing, talking a little bit around in circles about pronghorn antelope and all those kind of great things. We've got some more truly interesting things coming up. We're right on the verge of whitetail season opening here in Texas, uh, so I suspect. Uh, the next time you hear me talking, it'll be something about white-tailed deer because uh, opening day is going to be right before that one's released. Thank you so very much for joining me today. I, I look forward to catching up with you around the real campfire or virtual campfire. DSC's Untamed Heritage is also brought to you by Texas Wildlife Association, working for tomorrow's wildlife today. Wildlife Systems, serving hunters and landowners since 1987. Kenetrek Boots, for the trail less traveled. Ruger, rugged, reliable firearms. Pyramid Air, your one stop for everything air gun.